0: What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is a good friend who shares a similar approach to life and markets as I do. Whether you're trading or investing, maintaining balance in your life and emotions is extremely important to achieving long-term profitability and, and frankly, to achieving long-term happiness. Cruz has taken this idea to the next level, giving incredible advice in his own newsletter called Market Meditations on his podcast and on his YouTube channel. It's my intention on this podcast to better understand the importance of life balance to improve your trading and how that balance can be achieved because we know that it's an eternal struggle for all of us who try to achieve it cruz thank you so much for for coming on the show
1: so it's an absolute pleasure to be on thanks for having me of course so before we
0: get into the questions once again you're all listening to the wolf of all streets podcast where twice a week i talk to your favorite personalities in the worlds of bitcoin art finance sports politics Basically, anyone who has a good story to tell, this podcast is powered by BlockWorks. They are the fastest growing media company in the digital asset space. What they're doing is pretty mind-boggling. You can check them out at blockworks.co. And if you like this podcast, much like my esteemed guest today, I also have a newsletter, a website, all of these things. You can check everything out at thewolfofallstreets.io. So back in August of last year, you posted an epic meme video of the Avengers with all the Twitter avatars, and I've now spent... A year wondering, waking up in the morning thinking, will I see another one of these? So, do you have plans for another one of those for us?
1: You know, um, those memes take so much time. Like, uh, people don't respect the art of memeing enough. Like, we put together a whole movie script uh, for that thing, plan every detail. I mean, I think that's what makes a really epic meme. Otherwise, you're just putting out something which is funny and good, but to get it to that scale for, like, two minutes with motion tracking all over the place, getting every key person and CT in, hopefully, I will earn enough to and do enough to which I can dedicate my life fully to memeing. But until then, it's going to be a while till we do something that grand again. But memeing
0: has become a job. I actually see job listings now from a lot of companies and stuff, especially in this space, saying hiring someone full time to basically create memes.
1: I mean, if something gets you, like, I think that got us about 400,000 impressions People pay a lot of money for 400,000 impressions. So uh, if you can hire someone full time to consistently get you that sort of engagement, then memeing is super powerful. I mean, some tokens that have launched in the space right now run entire campaigns based off of memes. It's like it's great marketing and community building because it's humor. People love humor. It's uh, easy to get behind.
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So now be beyond the memes, um, <laughs> as I said, in the introduction, what I, I find so engaging about you as a person and as a content creator and everything is that you just seem to have this incredible balance. And I know that that can be smoke and mirrors depending on the time, but I want in your life for anyone, but I, I want to talk about the importance generally of uh, trying to achieve that and how that affects your trading, because I know that we have a lot of traders here from advanced all the way down to completely, you know, beginners who are taking their first trade. And there's so many stories about there and lessons about what people need to do to improve their trading. And to me, it's just about having a balance in life and not being consumed and obsessed. So I I just want to kind of talk to you generally about how you came to that and why it's so important.
1: So I guess we could begin by defining balance. um, And I guess that would be, approaching it from multiple angles, making sure you're healthy, eating well, sleeping well, happy, also making money and pursuing trading. I mean, that's where I'd start with the definition of balance and uh, it's something which became very important to me uh, when I actually gave myself insomnia for about two and a half years, pretty bad insomnia. Um, uh, When I first, I put together a trading system in 2018, that was making me a lot of money to the point where sleeping was costing me four or five figures like if i didn't wake up a couple of times in the night i was missing opportunities to just make thousands of dollars and at that point i hadn't built a trading system that was that good and um doing so well uh, It had a hit rate of like 97 percent and as a mathematician i knew like this isn't going to last very long like this is not going to last very long i need to take advantage of it and ride it as long as i can so i started sending alarms in the middle of the night Um, I'd wake up five to 15 times because this was on the five 15 minute time frame trading. And um, all I was doing was trading. I went to the hairdressers and I was on the phone having um, my girlfriend execute a trade for me. Uh, That's how obsessed I was with not missing a single opportunity and just maximizing this. And um, then I got the insomnia. Um, My happiness was down the drain. Um, I absolutely love fitness and exercise. That went down. Um, My emotions were all over the place. And uh, there there had to be a change because my trading started to suffer. Uh, I'd get into fights and do stupid stuff on the charts, like uh, open a $100,000 position just for the sake of it, to see what happens and see if I could just make $200 off of it. You know, something really stupid and unnecessary. And that stuff happens because when you trade you're not trying to trade for for a year or two years generally if you're building and honing this skill you need to be able to sustain it over an entire career because we have full responsibility one emotional mistake and it's all gone years and years of profit can just disappear and i'm sure you're aware scott as well you're a fantastic trader um and uh, well when you realize this suddenly more important than your technical analysis, more important than your risk management is to keep your emotions in check, because that's a binary. If your emotions allow you to stick to your system, you'll continue making money. If they don't, you've just got this very probable event that could wipe you out at any point. So balance became pretty important. And then uh, for something a little more actionable, what I implemented was sort of four pillars I like to maintain my health and balance on. Uh, The first one being sleep. Sleep is so important uh, to the point where um, it can have more of an impact on your physical performance than steroids. Getting a good night's sleep before a competition. So an athlete on steroids that's had a bad night's sleep is had a less advantageous position than one that's had a really good night's sleep. It's uh, that level of impact on your body, your mind, it's equivalent. Uh, then after that diet, making sure I'm hydrated, I'm eating well, um, then exercise really helps me. It raises my mood. It keeps me feeling healthy and energetic. And the final one, which um, I mean, you know, you know, the newsletter is called Market Meditations. I absolutely, adore meditating, and it's brought a lot of benefit to my life.
0: How much do you meditate in a week, a day, a week? What, you know, what, and how did you build up to whatever that level is? I ask, you know, you say asking for a friend, I'm asking for myself because I have an extremely overactive mind. You know, I have ADHD and I joke with my wife, I cannot visualize things. They say visualize yourself sitting on a beach And I like might see a snapshot or something, but I can't ever get there no matter how hard I try. It's just not the way my mind works. So I'm like five minutes and out. And then a week later, I'm not meditating anymore. (laughs) I find it very, very difficult.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I I, I love that you want to pursue it. I'm not sure how much it would help uh, uh, with the imagination side of things, uh, but it, it could certainly have positive impacts, I believe, on anyone's life. And uh, it doesn't have to be the like, you know, sit down meditation, people can find other forms of meditation, like some people can find it in yoga, some people can find it in taking long walks, there are multiple forms, but the core principles remain the same. Uh, What meditation does is it hones uh, two things really well, which you can argue are one thing, but we'll keep it um, like as two separate things. There's awareness, and then there's attention. Um, So with awareness, it's not like you suddenly get magical control over your emotions you still get just as angry uh you still get just as um greedy or you still feel fear um but the difference is with meditation by spending so much time uh paying attention to your thoughts and feelings as soon as you get scared or you feel fomo or fud you're aware of it so um if i enter a trade I'm aware of what my emotions are as I'm doing it, which allows me to act upon it, if that makes sense. Makes so, perfect uh, sense. so so you notice what you're feeling so you can then act upon it. And th- then this has suddenly a compounding effect because the more time you spend noticing these feelings, the more comfortable you become with these feelings. So you're still feeling them exactly the same, they're just losing their control over you. So uh, the way to develop this with meditating is just sitting and spending time with your emotions, doing nothing but observing absolutely everything going on. Then there's another element to it, which is attention as well, uh, which helps you uh, focus on certain tasks, it helps you develop willpower and efficiently exert your willpower as well. Uh, And to answer your question on how much time I will spend meditating, well, I started with five minutes a day and then that five minutes uh, went up to six minutes, went up to seven, eight, and then really slowly compounded up. And uh, I focused on just building the habit, doing it. The the first stage of meditation is the most difficult. That's just doing it every day. Turning up is, yeah, show up. That's harder than achieving mastery. You just do it every day with intent and you'll find your way there. Um, So right now, I'm back to 10 minutes, but the times where I've made my most progress is when I've been doing one to two hours a day. Right now, there's just a bit too much work for me to dedicate that much time. But when I was doing one to two hours, the developments, the insights which come, it's um, life-changing to the point where like most people will think, uh, wouldn't even believe it if I went into detail of how much impact it can have on your life.
0: I sometimes wonder how much of it is just your ability to like detach from your phone. (laughs) And, And the other things in your life, any excuse, you know, because I find, for example, surfing to be meditative for me, only because I'm out there and I'm thinking about one thing. So it's not, you know, I'm not getting, I guess, perhaps that awareness of my feelings and emotions, but I'm at least detached from everything else, which I find to be a big challenge in life these days, you know, play with my kids, with my phone in the other room, as opposed to in my pocket, you know, really little things, but they make a huge difference.
1: Well, it does, because the phone is a distraction coming up. If you're paying attention to your phone, you're not paying attention to how you're feeling. You're not paying attention to, for example, how many times have you seen people really scrunched up and frowning, looking at their phone, or even smiling and happy because they've read a text that like, they like they're not aware of how they're reacting to this object because their attention isn't on themselves. It's completely encompassed by the phone. And that's why surfing could actually be immensely meditative. This is actually uh, something we spoke about um, in my second ever podcast episode with BTC Jack Sparrow. um, Awesome Twitter account, really nice guy. Um, I think he's been on your show as well. So um, he surfs and we were talking about it because when you're surfing, you, you have to focus on your body. You have to focus on the sensations, your balance, and then you can, uh, it forces awareness. And and that's why it's so much more powerful than focusing on the phone. Because if you focus too much on the wave, you can't focus on your body and your balance and you're going to fall over. If you focus too much on yourself, you're not paying attention to your environment. So it like forces you to spread that awareness.
0: What struck me from something you said uh, earlier was that you obviously had this system. It was hitting 97% rich. Uh, hit rate, which is astounding. Um, I've certainly never come anywhere close to that with any system that I've developed, but, um, you were so implies that you were making an immense amount of money, but, um, while making that money and having that success, you were actually becoming less happy. Right
1: well um first i'd like to dive in that one uh one thing that, which around, allowed this really high hit rate was that it was a very small opportunity like window of opportunity right. it didn't last for very long secondly i was taking on a very large amount of risk so that three percent Where I did lose, I lost a lot more than I was winning every time. Hmm. So whenever anyone says 97% hit rate, there's always contingencies to it. Also, the position sizes were a little bit limited. Like, yes, I could make um, four figures, roughly four figures per trade, but if I wanted to go to, uh, like, much above that, suddenly slippage comes in because these aren't the most liquid pairs I'm trading and a whole bunch of other stuff compounds on top to make it not scalable. And then the happiness question to get onto that part – I found, Scott, and I think you'd resonate with this, that, that really is outside of financial freedom, no correlation whatsoever between how much you earn and how happy you are. And, and people don't like to hear that because it's, um, uh, it's something only rich people say. There's a reason every rich people says it, guys, like every rich person says it, because it is true. Once you hit financial freedom, um, none of your problems go away when you get money and just earning more money is just chasing this um, mindless goal that has no end result from it. In fact, moving away from chasing money is one of the things that has helped me be way happier and way more successful in life.
0: I think actually, to some degree, it amplifies the same problems that were there before, (laughs) um, which I found it's funny, you know, in this kind of bull run over the last six months, I've engaged with a lot of friends and um, other traders and stuff, and people have gotten pretty insanely rich, right? I mean, (laughs) even more so than I remember in 2017, the last, you know, six to seven months, the opportunities have been there and none of them are particularly happy. I've talked to. In fact, I've experienced it to some degree myself. You know, like you said, once you get over a certain uh, certain threshold, it becomes a bit of a mo money mo problems. You know, as Big as Biggie said, it it, it really is because then you have the paranoia of losing it or, or how to manage it or what the tax burden will be, and it just you know compounds a lot of big things. So I, I so interesting to hear you say it because I think that that will resonate with a lot of people, and I've heard it so many times in the last six months.
1: And this circles back to what we were talking about balance, like, um, firstly, make sure you have the other areas of your life on point if you're not fit (laughs) or if you're not able to be energetic if your body isn't healthy obviously that's going to affect your happiness there's a strong correlation between your mental health and your physical health then taking care of your mental health meditation will help you it won't solve any problems but you'll be aware like uh, if you notice you're constantly thinking about this really stressful commitment you have to this one job every time you come down every time you sit down to meditate that's what's going to come up in your mind. And that's how it helps you solve that. And, um, when it comes to money and happiness, that's why, like, once you have that financial freedom, um, stop pursuing more money, start pursuing, doing the things you like to do. Scott, you love this podcast, right? It's so fun. You get paid to talk to interesting people. Um, and meet sometimes people like me, (laughs) a little (laughs) less interesting, but, um, Uh, Yeah, so that's the amazing thing. You love to write your newsletter, find the things you love to do. And um, it's generic advice, but uh, it's not just about finding things you love to do. It's about finding things you enjoy and then doing them in a very consistent, capable, productive way while building relationships. It's not just, you can't just do what you like and expect it to produce a result. You need to do it well. You need to do it consistently. Like what number episode is this, Scott? How many episodes have you done one after another?
0: Yeah, I, I'm over well over 100. Honestly, I can't even tell you the number, but uh, t- I, I had a conversation with Charlie Shrim, and he said it, none of it counts till 500, and he's not there <laughs> yet either. He said, I hear that you can consider a podcast successful once you've gotten to 500 episodes.
1: Damn, um, um, another goal for me as well. A lot of perspective um,
0: there. So, you know, yeah. that, that's a lot. Um, yeah, so talking about d- doing a podcast and a newsletter and having a YouTube channel, right? It's funny there's the sort of meme attitude in crypto Twitter certainly that says if you're a good trader you shouldn't do anything else. Right? You should only make your money trading otherwise you're a faker, a larp or whatever. The uh, catchphrase of the week is but you were already a successful trader and decided to basically shift gears completely and start you know, taking a very similar path uh, as I did, obviously, like a newsletter, <laughs> YouTube podcast, all those things, because it, it makes a lot of sense. And I know that you think it's fun. But what made you pivot so strongly? Because you could have just kept trading.
1: Well, um, Scott, what well, you know, you were a huge motivation for that pivot, we, we had a sit down and a conversation, you very much impacted the uh, course of my life, just as you do 1000s uh, of other people for your well, newsletter you. and podcast. Uh, it I was at a point where COVID had just hit. And I don't know if I can say the word COVID. I know that kills SEO. Right. <laughs> so th- that had just hit. And um, I-, I was doing a lot of work in the property industry. And now I had this choice where I'm like, hmm, could I go 110% just trade, do nothing else? Would that make me happy? And the answer was no, because like you, I have a bit of an ADHD. I like to do so many different things at once. Right now I'm content creating. I'm making um, like on my YouTube and Twitter, I'm doing the newsletter, the podcast. Um, I'm uh, working as an advisor to several companies in the space. Like I like to do all of it at once. So I thought about, and meditation came in here as well. What do I want to do next and how do I want to do it? Do I want to just trade? What impact is that having on the world? What is that really doing that's cool or exciting? Is that going to motivate me forever? It's a fun video game, but it's not enough. Then you presented the opportunity. Hey, wait a second. I've got the audience. A newsletter on a podcast could really help bring awareness and attention to crypto. It could open all sorts of doors in terms of building relationship capital. I'm sure you've met, uh, made loads of connections, people who just come on the podcast. And I'm like, wow, I can actually build in the crypto space. This thing which is building new infrastructure that can change the world for the better. That's exciting, that's fun. I want to do this. Monetary wise, like that comes after. I'm sure the money will follow. If I do a good job, the money will come to me. So you and the fact that crypto is an incredible, exciting place to build, and the fact that I didn't just want to trade is why I went here. Um, And I will double down on the people that say, if you just trade, you'll be a better trader. I think they're right. Like if you, like if I wanted to be the absolute best trader I possibly could be, I'd drop most other things and just trade. And I have had to trade less. I can't do my intraday scalping like I used to because I'm just in meetings all day. So yes, it definitely takes an impact, but you can also adapt. Now this is the key thing. So um, most people aren't traders. Most people listening to this podcast right now, they'd lose if they tried to intraday scalp every single day. They should be taking passive strategies first then they should be learning portfolio management. So they know how to manage their wealth and portfolio, then they can move into like swing trading and taking um, positions. And then maybe if you like all of that, start building uh, yourself a trading system and looking down that path. But uh, yeah, I guess that'd be my answer to that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, we all know that investors outperform traders. Like there's been uh, <laughs> countless studies a, a, on all of that. And interestingly, I, I've found for myself that, I mean, the less I trade, the more money I make. Not saying the less I'm focused on it or the less passionate about it or the less I'm, you know, concerned with the system or what kind of trades I take. But I was never good at these intraday scalping thing. It's too spastic for me. And, you know, <laughs> I think that uh, emotions inevitably kicked in for me at some point with something like that. So for me, doing all of these other things actually allows me to care a bit less about the trades, which allows them to reach their full potential.
1: I often say part-time training can be an edge. It can absolutely be an edge because one, you don't rely on your trading income you don't rely on your trading income you're not attached to the outcome if you're not attached to the outcome you're less likely to make emotional decisions because what happens happens it's just a trade and if it wins you're not going to be able to not pay your bills or something this is what kills me with people who make a little bit of money because of this bull market and then they quit their job and they jump into full-time trading times are going to get tougher the tides are going to shift and then it's going to be a whole different ballpark uh, how to trade and i'd like to bring up something really important you kept saying in that segment which was um me personally like it's such an individual sport right now uh, how you trade no one else can trade like you trade scott um you're right now writing a newsletter every single day you are talking to the most knowledgeable people in the space on a weekly basis because you're doing this so much you gain an edge which the regular person c- just so can't true. replicate they can't replicate. So you need to find your own edges, whatever that may be. And the easiest edge, the easiest edge to get is passive trading. Like don't try and time the market, be humble and get exposure. There are other places to find edges, but that is the easiest one for 99% of people.
0: Yeah. Time in the market is better than timing the market that, you know, there's yeah. no question. That there's a reason that, uh, you know, most people who have acquired generational wealth have just dollar cost averaged. Just, you know, buy, buy something with the money that you have that you don't need to touch and leave it for a few decades.
1: I'd, I'd say there's a case for um, you can add a little bit more to it. So at first, just learn why you're doing dollar cost averaging and passiveness. And that's like you said, you're not trying to time the market. You accept with humility that you don't have the ability to pick the right time to enter that's step one now if you want to turn that into a little bit more of an edge start concentrating it a little bit instead of dollar cost averaging equally into a whole bunch of assets maybe you want a little bit more in bitcoin because Bitcoin's going to the moon maybe you want a little bit less in bonds because they haven't performed well in god knows how long Um, maybe also another place which people don't talk enough about invest in yourself be that knowledge, be that building your own business. That's another great place you can invest. It doesn't just have to be to assets.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely true. So I-, I wanna touch on something completely different. I love the tweet that you recently said, you said that uh, your university degree ended up being entirely useless. <laughs> um, so I-, I'm- I have mixed feelings on that. So I don't think I learned a single useful thing in college, right? Um, I was in school in the late nineties at a time when I think, uh, the velocity of information and the internet, you know, it, it was really at that time, like what you learned your freshman year was irrelevant, your senior year. Now I think what you learned the first hour of your freshman year is irrelevant the third hour of your freshman year. Right. So it's very different, but the connections and experiences that I had there, I could never replicate and could never replace, um, Maybe it was because I was in an Ivy League school, so obviously it was the people that I was surrounded with. But I want to talk about how you said that you found your college degree to be entirely useless. Can you dig further into that?
1: So, firstly, that was a um, bit of a out there tweet to get Clickbait. people talking. Clickbait. Yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly, we all exactly. Do it. it's, Sentiment. It,
0: Sentiment check.
1: Sentiment check, because you have to make a strong statement and then that stimulates discussion. And then um, if you notice, I responded to quite a few of the comments um, discussing with people because uh, it's a very interesting topic and it's a hot one right now. It's very cool to say university is a scam, university is uh, useless, but as with most issues, it's not black and white. There's two sides to the story. So my tweet for context, the piece of paper is useless. I have not once presented that piece of paper or the grade I killed myself to get to anyone because I've actually just done my own thing since university and no job I've worked at has asked to see my degree. So uh, that piece of paper was useless. What wasn't useless was a lot of the things you said. Um, The ability to be independent, learning independence in this environment with a lot of other people learning independence. The friends I made, the experiences I had, those were amazing. Also the knowledge itself, was useful and there's two parts to this which i'll get to so learning mathematics was incredibly yeah, useful. it's one of the reasons i'm really good at um trading if i may say so humbly um like i'm not I, i'm i have an edge over a lot of people because i introduced to it Intuitively understand probability ratios. Um, I, wh- when I see a moving average, I know the formulas that go into it. I instinctively know the difference between exponential and normal. And I can ma- extrapolate uh, on basic hypotheses using that underlying understanding of uh, mathematics. So in that sense, it's great. It also makes you smarter because you're just doing this um, mental gymnastics with all these puzzles and stuff. But I could have done that myself there's youtube nowadays there's google i mean i uh, i've if i can plug my own course one second sure, i've got a first complete free trading course You're on youtube right I've, now yeah uh, th- thank you That you could like people will pay for that and, and it's out there for free and that's just me for, for every topic you want there is someone out there that has put free information on the internet that you could learn it um most of mit's own lectures you can on, find yeah. online so um did i need to spend that money no it, But at the time, I don't regret it because at the time I didn't have the information. I didn't know that I could learn it all online. I didn't even have the belief in myself to teach myself that skill online. And I'm sure you know as well how important the skill of being able to teach yourself something is. That's the top thing I look in any employee who comes to work for me. It's that, can you teach yourself a new skill really quickly using just the internet? It's
0: official. It's official. The digital art market is going mainstream. It's been exploding this past year with over 10 million in sales in December alone and it's just getting started. There's no better time than now to diversify your holdings with art investments which have long been seen as an asset class that's consistently outperformed the S&P 500. Maker's Place is the go-to premium marketplace for purchasing rare digital artworks from the world's top creators like comic art legend Jose Delbo, Trevor Jones, digital wizard Pac, artists collected by MoMA, Guggenheim and many others. They have new artwork drops twice a week where collectors have the opportunity to add a coveted piece of rare digital art to their portfolio. Artworks from these drops have a history of selling out within seconds of release and have been reselling several months later for upwards of 10X. Collectors can subscribe for exclusive drop notifications on makersplace.com thewolf. You don't want to miss out on this action. Trust me. Guys, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that one of the most exciting use cases of crypto now is to earn yield and also to take low interest loans, especially since you earn next to nothing in your crappy legacy bank account. Nexo is leading the charge in this arena with 360 degree crypto banking services one thing that i'm really excited about that's new is that they have the nexo exchange it's a real game changer with more than 75 crypto and fiat pairs to swap between instantly without leaving the nexo wallet app and with prices fixed at order submission their smart routing system gives a best price guarantee by connecting you to multiple exchanges now, if you're looking to park your crypto and earn yield, you can make up to 12% annual interest for doing absolutely nothing. If you're looking for a loan, they have them for as little as 5.9% APR and you don't have to sell your crypto, which we all know is a taxable event. The credit lines are also dynamic, meaning that as the value of your crypto goes up, so does your available credit. This is so cool and innovative. I've never seen something like that before. So please check them out at nexo.io exchange and put your crypto to work for you. Okay, so with a weird, some might say, semi-post-apocalyptic 2020, very much done and dusted, it's time to tear the new year in two and send your Bitcoin into play with a killer promo from the team at BitCasino. Drop a 5-milli-Bitcoin minimum on any of the platform's 2,000 or so Bitcoin slots and get 200 free spins to use on the Legacy of Dead. To claim your 200 free spins, use the promo link bitcasino.io slash scott, that's S-C-O-T-T. Log in or register an account, head over to the rewards section, and enable the bonus called Legacy of Dead 200FS. Wager 5-milli-Bitcoin on any slot game after that, and you'll get 200 spins on the house just for being you. BitCasino was ahead of the crypto game before the game got going. The original Bitcoin-led online gaming destination, they continue to set the standard for fun, fast, and fair gameplay. Deposit, wager, and withdraw in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Tron, and more. All in real time, all the time with BitCasino. Right. Moving along. All out there. I want to touch on your free trading course and just in general, how much free content you put out. Why do you do that? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, two parts. Number one, that's how I learned to trade. Um, There was a lot of free content out there. So I thought, heck, in fact, I wasn't even doing free educational content. I was just sharing my trades at the start because the bull market ended in 2017. And no one, I noticed loads of people that were killing it before. And now just losing money left, right, and center. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm I'm still making money. Maybe I should post a little bit of this. Uh, And that's how I gained my following in the first place. And then the educational content came because people like the way I explain things. And um, I love explaining things. I mean, back when I was at school, I used to um, voluntarily, oh God, this is going to nerd me out. um, Voluntarily go to the maths club to teach the younger kids and help them with their work because I loved the teaching part of it. It was really fun and gratifying and maths was really fun to me. So similarly, trainings like this video game I love, So I'm just putting out these video game tutorials that also mix up with my love of maths as well. So that's fantastic. It helps people. And right now, uh, let me take a second to talk about sustainable business models. Uh, So, Back when I first started making money and doing my own businesses, um, one of the things I was taking advantage of was asymmetry of information. So at university, I knew someone who was selling uh, just kitchenware in Germany at a really cheap price. And I knew people in uh, UK who would buy it at a more expensive price. Now I can make money off of that so long as they don't know about each other. So that asymmetry (laughs) of information, right? But the world is moving in a direction where information is becoming universally available for free. So that business model was never going to last. Like my value was useless there. So sharing information for free positions you with the shift the global ship, like where the direction the world is moving in right now so one of the most useful things you can do is make content educational content is a great one whatever your content is going to be like freely sharing information just aligns you with the direction the world is moving in that's why i decided to give it out for free instead of selling it because sure i can make um like transparently that course has now got um just on impressions, about 3 million impressions on Twitter alone, just Twitter alone. The YouTube probably doubles or triples that. I could have sold that course for $100 or $1,000 and made six, maybe seven figures. But that's short term, isn't it? Because eventually that knowledge is going to be available for free. So I want everything I do, I'm positioning myself for the long term. And by giving the content out for free, that's one of the best ways to position yourself for the long term rather than the short term.
0: And how much of it is just about I'm doing well. I want to help people.
1: I want to help people. That's why I'm in crypto, because crypto is going to make the world better. That's why I've dedicated myself to this industry as opposed to, I don't know, the oil industry. Uh, this one is moving the world in a really amazing direction. And you've spoken about this multiple times. DeFi is changing the infrastructure of the financial system. Sure, I don't think in the next three or four years, we're going to move completely towards DeFi. But in the next 20 years, how much inefficiency from the centralized system is going to move over to DeFi and how much money is going to be saved and how much good can be done with that money? How much redistribution of wealth is going to occur? How many um, kids who would have grown up with loads of talent to become bankers will become engineers or scientists or um, do something creative with their lives? You know, they That excites me. That's why I want this founding in the crypto space so I can help build.
0: So what made you realize that? When did you have that aha moment with Bitcoin or crypto in general that this is what you wanted to focus your time on? You could have traded anything.
1: That's a really interesting question because um, I came in for the tech, um, and I u- used quotation marks there because I came in the same reason everyone most people did in 2016 17, and that's because my friend, um, told me Ethereum is like the new next internet. Um, I've just made this much money, you should buy some. I'm like, cool, let's buy some. So I came in and I learned about Ethereum there. Then I started trading and making money through the trading, and then I continued trading for multiple years. And I'm trying to think what that pivotal moment was but I think it was more a gradual shift and it actually came from my trading because one of my friends told me um one of my friends and mentors told me hey you need to start focusing more on the fundamentals of these projects you've just spent three years in this space and you're still only looking at the charts why would you deliberately ignore all this extra information and diving into the fundamentals I started to realize more and more Wait not only do I want to hold and trade this project, I actually believe in this project. This project is doing a lot of good. This is exciting. And then DeFi started to get popular around the same time. And then NFTs came out, which are also changing the world for the better, um, redistributing wealth to artists. So it was a very slow, gradual change when I made the shift to look into fundamentals as well as just the charts.
0: How much of it was triggered by the timing of deciding to do the newsletter podcast, all those things with COVID? I can say that personally, I had a very similar path to you, although I wasn't in it for the tech at all. I literally just came to trade and make money and then slowly backed into the importance and use case. But th- I had a lot of light switch moments. But uh, you know, the, the big one when the generator turned on to power the entire city was uh, when COVID hit. And, so I, and I saw the up. insanity of central banks and the stock market pri- rising and, and those things.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I can take it even a step back from that. Um, when COVID happened, I realized how fragile the world is, how fragile the structures and systems we've built up and how clueless we all are in terms of, we're just kind of trying to make the world run. No one really understands what's happening. Uh, when you're a kid, you look to adults as if, everything is um in order and perfectly r- ran and the more you get involved in the adult world and the underlying structures behind these things like people look at companies big corporations as just these machines and engines that run but it's not it's just a bunch of people uh getting together and making decisions and doing things okay. that are not that solid and what covid did is reveal that to the greatest degree I'd ever seen. And then obviously uh, we saw the um, all the money printing that followed, all the terrible economic decisions and um, the value of Bitcoin just started Presenting itself more and more, the necessity of it, um, as well as a lot of other instances which um happened well before that as well. Just uh the hyperinflation across multiple different countries. I mean, in 2017, I had people in Iran, um, wait, can I say yeah, uh, people coming and wanting to buy Bitcoin for 5x market value for ungodly sums of money as well simply because like it was the only solution and something like that you just can't overlook something like that
0: yeah that that makes total sense so that said now we've seen sort of the institutional interest peaked i think we've seen at least the beginnings of an awakening from your average person about these topics you know yeah, your average person never thought about their money or how the hell is the stock market going up when I can't like buy bread and they can't send me a stimulus check or, or those things. But where do you think we now are sort of in that cycle? And I'm not talking about Bitcoin price. I'm talking about an awareness cycle of Bitcoin actually reaching its full potential of DeFi, you know, starting to come to fruition. And I don't personally believe it will ever replace the banks, but as a, you know, a second option for people who, maybe aren't serviced properly by legacy systems.
1: Well, I I had an interesting conversation with Dan Held recently, and this hasn't been released yet, but uh, he highlighted the difference between something you said that, that is DeFi and Bitcoin for me. Um, And he put it so eloquently in the, it's apples and oranges. Bitcoin isn't trying to be DeFi. DeFi is this whole other thing. What Bitcoin does is provide this, Um, ultimate solution to the store of value problem. And we only need one thing to provide that solution. And Bitcoin could and is currently the leader in becoming that one thing. Yeah, there could be new technology that overtakes it, but for that, just watch the market cap. Like when something's market cap gets equivalent to Bitcoin, go 50% Bitcoin, 50% that, if you just want to take a completely passive approach. But that's the problem which Bitcoin solves. DeFi is this whole other thing in my head, which is in this in, in its complete infancy right now. And we've got no idea what's happening. It's the wild, wild west it's there. Insane. Like Projects are getting hacked for a multiple millions of dollars. Getting, new ones are getting made every single day. You can get 10,000% APY if you find the right project. So DeFi is just this early stage infancy Think that we don't even know the potential uh, it's going to have yet in the world. I mean, like with NFTs coming in as well, getting more popularity, people, the the integration between NFTs and DeFi is huge as well. Um, So with that, it's in its infancy. With Bitcoin, people are waking up. Still slowly because the important thing for that isn't the price to go up it's education the government isn't teaching people about financial education because it's not in their interest like people don't know about taxes people don't know about inflation people don't know how to invest or buy the right assets because like why would a government want to teach its citizens not to be um, middle-class or l- lower-class, just laborers and going through the grind and um, making the cogs turn and the machine going and keeping the richer rich. Um, it, it's it's not in their interest to educate. And that's where I see the um, the, the, the delta, like the gap closing, education. People need to realize um, why Bitcoin matters. People need to know about inflation before they're allowed to graduate. Like you shouldn't be allowed to graduate if you don't understand that putting your money in a bank account for 30 years halves its value.
0: That's interesting though, because a lot of people point to the fact that we have minimal financial education, if any. I can definitely tell you that in the United States, I never learned anything in school about finances. But you're one of the first pieces people who put it out there to me directly that it's deliberate. Um, well, so I'd like, I want to you know, start a
1: conspiracy no, theory. I agree. No, I mean I
0: I tend to agree, or wh- whether it's passively de- deliberate or actively deliberate. I think that as you touched on, maybe the more important thing there is not to say that they're actively trying to keep people down, but that there's no incentive for them not to.
1: It, that's what I precisely what I think it is. One, there's no incentive to for them not to, and also. It's a really, okay. So this is quite an interesting two-part one that just came in my head. So it's very interesting because it's not a hard science. Monetary policy is BS for the most part. Like That's there really. are so many variables at play here and people are trying <laughs> to make predictions off of it. Taleb put it, re- Nassim Taleb, he put it really, really well. Um, you, like, you try to, weather predictions are really inaccurate right now, right? Um, when it comes to economics, Imagine trying to make a weather prediction where every droplet of rain is individually intelligent. So just the number of variables and connections that increase there. And because of that, maybe we shouldn't be teaching it to kids in any complex way besides telling them, hey, we're pretty sure inflation's a thing. We're pretty sure you don't want to go into debt and you want to develop assets. But when it comes to the complex side of things, that's why Bitcoin is such a good solution. Because like we no longer have random people making absurd guesses as to whether or not they should print money uh, and we eliminate that problem. So I don't think it's delibri- deliberate. I think it's just um, a whole pile of bad decisions one after another that have led to it. And now there just really is no incentive to do anything about it.
0: So it's a perpetuation of an existing system and part of that greater system that we all know Versace. is obviously fixed towards <laughs> the rich. But as you said, I mean... You don't need to teach a high school kid how inflation works, but they should be able to define inflation.
1: Yeah. Like my money's worth less every year. It's so simple. But,
0: but, you know, when I was a kid, the the minimal financial education that we had was you should save your money. You should put your dollars in a bank account. And back then, of course, you know, interest rates were 10 plus percent. So you could gain money, but- you were still losing buyer power. Your mortgage would also be at 14 or 15%. But we didn't understand. We were just told to save your money, not to buy anything, just save your money. And it couldn't be more inaccurate now.
1: A lot of people are naturally risk-averse, Scott, as well. Uh, so it may not have even been bad intentioned advice. It's It feels like the safest thing to do, just hoard a whole bunch of cash and save and make sure you don't spend a lot and cut back on spending rather than increase um, earning power. Uh, people are naturally risk averse. And those who aren't risk averse either end up in the bottom echelon of society or they get to the top echelon. Because that's what happens when you take on a lot of risk. And when you get to the top, that, I mean, that information isn't gonna trickle back down. And if you stay in the middle and you've consistently stayed happy in the middle, then you're probably going to continue passing on that risk-averse knowledge.
0: Yeah, but it, it seems like it's risk-averse, but is there more risk in holding a dollar than in holding a dollar worth of Bitcoin or a dollar worth of stock or a dollar worth of gold or certainly a dollar worth of real estate? Not that you can buy a dollar worth of real estate, but the idea holds.
1: Yes. If you have no emotional control, if you're not reading Scott's um, newsletter and you don't understand risk management, you don't understand um, how to trade and invest because that knowledge isn't freely available. Like if you tell the average person, Hey, you should not save cash. What else do I do? They don't know what an index fund is. They don't know what Bitcoin is. That's just drug money. That's what the media tells them it is. Uh, So it's, it's that go all circles back to education, that asymmetry of information. Uh, We need to get the right information to people because if you don't have the knowledge, it is risky because you you need to stick within your circle of competence. So we need to increase the average person's circle of competence to include more of this. And that's why free financial education is so important.
0: And how much of that comes down to personal responsibility? Because if you at least have a superficial knowledge that nobody's going to do it for you, why don't 99% of people go out and learn this and say, hey, man, my money is the most important thing that I have. How do I put it to work for me? Because then you have this gap between is it really the government's fault? Or is it all these people who are call them asleep or risk averse or whatever you want to call it? Is it their own fault that they didn't go out there and make it happen?
1: Man, these are really, really Deep and large, great questions, Scott, that I do not have the answers to, but I can offer my opinions for. Um, I don't have the
0: answers either. That's why I'm asking you for your opinion, obviously.
1: (laughs) My opinion would be that the word fault, if we replace that, then I fully agree with you. It's not like it's your fault that you're not doing it, but you've been dealt a certain set of cards and you're the only one who can change your life. Uh, At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. You can't control the external circumstances that have gotten you to where you are. So not just with financial, with um, anything else in life, you you should want to take on ownership and personal responsibility, because that is the only thing you can control yourself. Let's leverage um, your physical health as an example. Say you're really genetically unfortunate. You you do have um, a huge amount of fat cells in your body. So you store up a lot of fat really easily and you get way more hungry than the average person. Like, cool, you're probably going to be fatter than the average person. And if you want to change that and you're at risk for, say, Uh, heart disease, and you want to change that, it doesn't matter that you got dealt a bad hand, you need to actively take action to learn about dining, to learn about um, exercise and improve that situation. Just like if your financial situation is bad, it may not be your fault. You may have just been born in the wrong place at the wrong time but that doesn't matter. You're the only person who can do something about it and change it. So anyone listening, I encourage you to take ownership for whatever situation you're in and do something about it. Don't even think about whether or not it's your fault. Focus entirely on what's in your control. Everything else is a waste of time.
0: So how much does it drive you nuts when you get DMs saying, Sir, I followed (laughs) your trade that you posted on Twitter and now I'm homeless. It's your fault. Right, to to some varying degree, as ridiculous as that sounds, I hear that, or some variation of that (laughs) at least 100 times a day.
1: It drives me crazy that I haven't done a good enough job to communicate to these people to not listen, to not blindly follow me. So I'll take full ownership that I'll take my own advice and take full ownership that I'll try to do a better job every single time I can. I try to clarify all my videos. Hey guys, do not copy what I am doing. You're never going to be able to do what I'm doing. You're never going to be able to do what Scott's doing. Focus on developing your own systems, your own processes. Don't blindly copy people. I've never met anyone in my life who's built their fortune and supports their family off Twitter calls that they follow or signals groups that they follow you know like no one builds a career or generational wealth like that what you should seek is knowledge because a short temporary gain even if you make a few million dollars that's not going to stay with you for like that's going to disappear that is a finite sum of money that if you don't know how to manage is going to go money that comes quickly will go quickly as well what doesn't go is knowledge, useful knowledge that can help you sustain this. And I keep saying sustain this because people need to have more patience. Focus on the long-term. If it's only a short-term solution, then every single time you're going to have to put that same amount of energy it took you to get to place one. Again, so you just enter this rat race and non-stop cycle where you just put a whole bunch of energy in, try to get something out, it runs out, then you put a whole bunch of energy again, instead of building long-term consistent systems. Like it's taken me a long time to build wealth that most people, some people, like one person was on my podcast and they went from $2,000 to 10 million in six months. That took me way longer to do, but my game is different. Most people turn 2K to 10 million in six months. They're going to lose that in three months. What you want to do is build processes, investment techniques, income-generating activities, relationships, and all these things which will just compound and continually provide you benefit for the rest of your life. Um, That that was a bit of a rant, but yeah, focus on the long term, not the short term.
0: It's not a rant at all. And one of the sort of pivotal moments for me, I remember, was the first time I read an article about lottery winners. And how like no matter how much they win, like 77, it was somewhere between 70 and 80% of them end up completely broke and fast. It's not like 50 years later, they've, you know, exhausted their wealth. It's like four years later, they're completely broke in debt and miserable.
1: Do you need to read about how many of your rock star friends, you don't have to mention any names from back in the day who made a killing, who made a fortune are now broke.
0: Right, but at least they were sort of working for it. They, they, you know, you think that like this, I'm, I mean, I guess logically it's, it's not the case, as you just said, but you would think if someone hands you $100 million, you couldn't spend it if your life depended on it. There was actually a movie when I was a kid, uh, which was amazing, and you've probably never seen it, uh, called Brewster's Millions. And basically, he was given millions, but to get the bigger fortune... He had to spend every single penny that he was given. And it was like challenging in the movie for him to get rid of every penny. He had to literally have the shirt on his back when he, uh, yeah. So, you know, in that movie, it was such a challenge for him to spend all the money. But you see that in reality, you give someone 50 million bucks and they can have nothing.
1: That also circles back to what we were talking about with trading. If you don't have the right mental models, processes and systems in place, if you don't understand that you need to spend relative to your earning and income power, not your current capital, you're always inevitably going to go broke. If you don't know how to manage your risk and you incorrectly proportion your assets, like you go like 90% into some really low cap, illiquid altcoin um, that you managed to find on Uniswap, and that's what got you from a small amount to a big amount, and you keep doing that, eventually it's going to all disappear. Upside is unlimited, downside is limited. You, once you lose that initial sum you had, it's way harder to earn it back. And that's the case with everyone. And the reason I leveraged some um, potential, because it not only happens with lottery winners, but it happens with celebrities as well. Like professional athletes, they have a huge amount of earning power, but it's limited to their athletic career. After that earning power ends, they can't continue spending like that. The smart ones build businesses. They invest in um, staff around them to manage their wealth. They invest in smart things, thinking long-term, not short-term. So it it all really comes down to it. If you have a short-term mindset, your cash is going to be short-term. If you have a long-term mindset, you're much more likely to have uh, long-term wealth.
0: So then how much of all the other things that you've done outside of just trading were about um, creating those passive income streams, whether- completely passive or some, you know, like, uh, nobody's going to argue that a newsletter is a passive income stream. It's something yeah. <laughs> you have to work on. There's a lot of work, but it is something that you can have consistently on the side of trading and that, uh, continues on. So how much of, you know, being able to maintain your wealth long-term has to do with escaping those short-term thinking. And like, I have to make this much money trading this week. I have to make this much in a month. I have to make this much in a year and how much of a difference have you seen now setting up all those multiple streams of
1: income? So this took me a long time to realize and I mentioned it earlier. It's that your are there's two aspects to this. One, if you want to consistently earn money you need to be able to solve a problem that needs solving. And I, and I leverage the example of the asymmetric information. If the world is moving in a direction where information is gonna become freely available. Why am I building a business model on that? Why don't I freely put out information and make it ready to, readily available to people? So I'm shifting to models that can consistently solve a problem to people. Like if my podcast is always going to be good and enjoyable and get great guests on, there's no reason my audience won't continue listening to it, especially if I keep getting better. So that's a stream of income that gets set up that I expect to last a long time. The The other part is, so one, solve a real problem and your income is probably going to continue to last as long as that problem needs solving. Secondly, preservation. So preservation is very separate to income generation. Uh, your If you put all your money in a bank account, You are investing in cash. That is a terrible way to preserve your money. But equally, if you put every penny you have in Bitcoin you are taking on a lot of risk. Like there's no two ways about it. I don't care how much of a maximalist you are. You are taking on a lot of risk because there's a huge amount of potential upside and there's potential downside as well. So that also could be very difficult for capital preservation. Even if Bitcoin is guaranteed to go to the moon, what if Bitcoin goes through an 80% dip at a time where a family crisis happens and you need to pay a huge amount of medical bills? It doesn't matter how long you want to huddle for. You have to sell at that point. So preservation is the other really important part. And the best way to preserve is to diversify into well-performing assets. So that's where diversification becomes useful. And there's a whole nother conversation we can have about diversification versus concentration, because diversification isn't good in a binary sense. It's a tool you can use to preserve capital well, but it's not like the be all and end all. Like I, I'm sure we both had periods of concentration and those sure. are often what create extremities of wealth. So I wanna um, uh, just hey, flag that's, that up as that's another That's such part. an
0: important topic because you talked about to- uh, speaking with Dan Held, I did the same thing. He was an incredible guest on my podcast. Yeah. But if you're saying that Bitcoin has solidified itself as a store of value, it's important to note that people without value, without money to store, don't need a good (laughs) store of value. They need cash to pay bills, right? So by that argument, and this is not necessarily how I think, but by that argument, Bitcoin really isn't for anyone. It becomes this thing that's more for wealthy people who are trying to hedge against their cash exposure or things like that, and are trying to accumulate or protect wealth. So uh, to me, uh, like, I I love the argument that it's a great store of value, but I think it's important to note that poor people don't need stores of value.
1: (laughs) And uh, this is why I love talking to you, Scott, because you have that bipolar mindset, you have the ability to both be uh, stupidly long Bitcoin as I am, but you also have the ability to know Bitcoin has its place and it's not like this religion you have to join and just say it's perfect for absolutely everything because it has its limitations and drawbacks and it absolutely isn't for anyone so I really have nothing to add but to agree with you over that
0: yeah I think Bitcoin can be more than that to be clear but I'm just saying if that's the argument uh it's fun to cheer the micro strategies and the Teslas and the Michael Saylors and to see and Morgan Stanley's coming in whatever (laughs) but that's not what Bitcoin was made for Right. So the more that happens, sure, we can cheer because it makes the value of our investment go up. But that actually, to me, sort of sort of puts a gaping hole once again in the income inequality of Bitcoin, along with other things. So it's just a bit scary and makes me a bit hesitant. I don't
1: know. Yeah, like um, with all of these things, there always is another side to them. Even if we leverage the example of DeFi. Yeah, we're building great infrastructures that are going to really uh, help close that gap. But right now, um, the only people who can really make money here are the ones who can afford to pay those absurd gas fees on Ethereum and move it around. So even this system, it benefits people with a lot of money a lot more than it benefits smaller players. There's caveats to all of this, and we're still in very early stages.
0: Gas fees have destroyed a lot of the income for lower-end NFT artists because who can afford to mint or transfer the NFT if you're selling it for 50 bucks?
1: Precisely. Even and with all did you I didn't think of that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's really it's destroyed a lot of NFT business. People don't realize that. We love to talk about selling something for sixty-nine million dollars. I don't think you care if it costs you a hundred dollars in gas to send it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you sold something for thirty bucks and it, uh, you know, cost twenty. Listen, I take crypto payments manually sometimes for my newsletter, and someone will be like, "It's a fifteen dollars a month, and the gas fee is twenty bucks." You know, <laughs> like it, so it, it does become. Become prohibitive. But I, I want to talk about something you said you've brought up a few times, which is information asymmetry and being able to take advantage of that. You used the example of the German cookware and being able to sell it at a higher price in England. That metaphor could be used to describe crypto, right? Because, like, isn't it all about because you could be that middleman for a temporary amount of time until those two people found out? I mean, isn't that just a metaphor for Visa and MasterCard and banks and any toll collector, you know, in the middle that's taking their little piece to be a third party that validates your transaction? Like, why do I need to go to the title agency to sell my car to someone? Why can't I just sell my car to someone and they give me the title, you know, or a mortgage or any of these things? I mean, isn't that what we're here for? Is eliminating that sort of asymmetry that has long been an opportunity for people you know to, to make money
1: we, we almost have to um, play a guessing game with our careers as to how much um, market share is going to be taken up by web 3.0, um, AI, and different types of future developments that are yet to come, heck, even the machines. I mean, how many manual labor jobs are going to go out to those? And almost as traders and investors and just people deciding what career we wanna to go to, we have to try predict which ones we think are going to happen the fastest and given the current momentum uh DeFi looks like a decent bet like something that's going to happen within our lifetimes and a good place to um dedicate a career to that information asymmetry uh, or not even information asymmetry but lack of need for a middleman between these two people is why DeFi is going to fill in a big hole and if we can take the place of DeFi. Man, there's a lot of market share to capture from the banks. Uh, one analogy I read, which I absolutely love, it's like the bankers are holding this big block of cheese and then these tiny little mice all around it nibbling away. That's DeFi. Right now, it doesn't look like much, but eventually that's going to take up a significant portion of that block of cheese. Uh, that,
0: that, that, that makes total sense. But then <laughs> I guess the question becomes for your average person, knowing that we've seen this script played out before, right? I mean, we had the internet boom in the late 90s and 90% of those companies either don't exist or nearly went to zero and and whatever. I mean, DeFi is like that on steroids, right? I mean, I love everything that's happening. I love the innovation. I love the spirit. I'm not saying it's malicious, right? If a thousand companies all have a thousand ideas and they're all passionate about it, I think that's great. But I still think 900 of them will be gone in 10 years or less.
1: It's because ideas are useless, Scott. If we had execution. our conversation in August, in August, where you told me, hey, I think you've got the personality and brand to have a great podcast newsletter. Um, and you and I said, cool and never did anything with that idea, nothing would have happened. And the importance of execution, the more experience you have building businesses and working with people, the more you see that execution just matters more than ideas on a disproportionate scale uh, because everyone thought at Uber, like everyone thought, hey, what if I got a taxi on my phone? how many people had that idea at a party or were just lying in bed and thought of it. Only one person went out and executed it. And there's a hundred different ideas like that. The ones you see and you're like, Oh, I'd thought of that before. It doesn't matter if you thought about it. You what matters it. If, if you have the ability to do it because willpower is scarce. Ideas are not scarce. Discipline is scarce. These traits take a certain type of, dedication, commitment, and training to develop a lot more than just having a random idea. So in that sense, um, we can leverage this to look at the current market and assume that it doesn't really matter how good the idea behind your altcoin is. um, We don't know if it's going to succeed. What happens in a parabolic bull market like what we have right now is that people get disconnected from reality and assume execution of ideas so if you assume execution of the idea you're going to start investing in just the idea and that's a really dangerous thing to do because reality will hit at some point and you won't be able to predict when it's going to hit and then most of these projects because there's humans behind these there's regular humans who um, have a lot of capacity to not follow through and fail will eventually fail and yeah a couple one like there'll be a there'll be an amazon or two in there. like very probable that there will be but you really think you're going to pick the Amazon or two out of that basket? That's why I don't understand people who get religiously married to any investment uh, have the humility to accept, maybe I don't have the ability to predict six, seven years in the future, whether or not this team are going to be able to execute this world-changing idea because I've read a white paper and watched the YouTube video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, so-
0: it's, uh, you're, you're 100% right. Half those passionate community members are a result of trades gone bad. Let's be honest, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> how had I trade my bad? I became an investor. I moved my stop loss. Now I'm very passionate about the tech, you know, that's kind of the, uh, the path of a, a community member, but no, I think that that's really interesting and important. And it begs the question Then, if you want exposure to DeFi, but you don't want to throw darts, so to speak, like, is it, do you buy Ethereum? I mean, what's the best way, do you think for your average person who like thinks, yeah, DeFi is the future, but is likely to go broke before that future is realized if they don't, you know, uh, invest responsibly?
1: So a lot of people like to answer this question with, hey, why don't you go buy a DeFi index? And there are, that, that is an option. There are loads of DeFi indexes. And for those who don't know, a DeFi index is simply a basket containing the best performing highest market cap DeFi coins in the market right, right now. The problem with this strategy is we're so early in the market that there's probably going to be a huge turnover yep. in what those top 15 projects are going to be. So that inherently attaches a lot of risk to yeah. uh, just picking up. and. If basket. two out of
0: 10 in your basket go to zero, your basket's
1: dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or if your basket is constantly changing uh, with the top um, uh, Turning, coins, yeah. you'd be better off just picking one and trying to get it right. Uh, so that's why i don't like the basket approach then there's the well why don't i pick an individual coin and now you're just taking on a ridiculous amount of risk because you're assuming you have the ability to predict the right coin so the solution becomes and here we are again education like if you truly want to learn about this new thriving space do you know how many people have made fortunes just dedicating all their free time like if you've got a nine to five Dedicate every evening to learning about this. Spend some time in chat rooms, discords, telegrams, talk to the developers, talk to the people behind these projects, talk to the funds investing in these projects, listen to the right podcasts, and start accumulating that knowledge. If you build the knowledge to make these decisions for yourself, Worst case, you learn about a thriving new space and you might even be able to get a job in it. You know what, Scott? I'm going to pivot my That's answer a to this. Answer. The best way you can get exposure to DeFi is to get immersed in the space. You, 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 are you good at making memes? Come make memes for a DeFi company. So Attach true. yourself to the success of that company. Uh, find a way to get involved in the space rather than throwing your money at a random project and hoping you'll be right and spend time learning and educating yourself as well.
0: Such great advice and I just realized that we're totally probably out of time here and then I've gone <laughs> over what we talked about. You have a very busy day, so I love it. I want to uh, ask where can everybody follow you, sign up for the newsletter, listen to the podcast, check out your YouTube, your Twitter, where, where can get they get the full Karush experience?
1: <laughs> so a uh, K on Twitter, and YouTube, super simple, Cruce A.K. Scott, I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere. Um, And then Market Meditations is the newsletter and podcast. Market Meditations, You just search it, it should come up. I'm glad you like the name. And also just a huge thank you for having me on, Scott. It's been one of my goals to get uh, on this podcast without having to ask you. I hope I didn't ask.
0: He did not ask, for the record. This is is an invitation.
1: I hope I've delivered value to your listeners. And this was a useful, fun, exciting episode. And I'd love to come on again and have you on the podcast again as well,
0: Scott. Uh, To to be totally honest, this is like top five conversations I've ever had. It always is when uh, you and I talk, but I think that this is a lot of practical and important uh, knowledge and information that a lot of people who are listening don't get so easily. Um, It's one thing to talk to, you know, the huge names that are building and the blue checks and all that, but you, you know, it's, it's generally a more focused on the, a specific concept. And I think that there's just a lot of actionable knowledge here and maybe somebody will listen to this and just have a grand awakening And realize hey man i'm just like way too emotional and i need to go hit the gym and you know and even if we get that for one person that listens to it 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 makes it a worthwhile and an amazing conversation so thank you very much for taking the time and and honor to have you and we will definitely do it in the future because i feel like we could have done this for another three hours here
1: for sure scott again thanks for having me thanks